0: Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel, which means Rebecca Lynch is with us. Rebecca's with the Wisconsin Working Families. Rebecca, good to see you. Good
1: to be here. Hi, Matt.
0: Awesome. And as always, Robert Craig is also with us, our executive director here at Citizen Action. Robert, welcome. Good day, everyone. The big topic we're going to talk about this week is the state of the state. Walker's SOS message, maybe we could call it. <laughs> Help, I'm in deep trouble, <laughs> political speech. Um, so the state of the state is given every year uh, by the governor this time to usually sort of look forward and kind of talk about what the state is and what, what the agenda is. Um, we were treated to about two-thirds of revisionist history, I would describe it as, in terms of what Walker's great accomplishments were. uh, The speech was highly political, highly uh, uh, defensive of his agenda, but I want to hear from the panel. Robert, I know uh, you were listening to this when I attempted to Call you yesterday? I had it on, and you were fully listening and weren't interested in anything I had to say, and everything Scott had to say. So your overall reactions, and then of course Rebecca, I very much just want to hear yours too.
2: He's very worried about his reelection
0: uh, surprise headline,
2: right? And the far right is deciding that some a lot of their agenda, at least the way it appears to people, is unpopular, and therefore he's pivoting to have a softer edge and it reminds me of the Koch brother debrief of the 2012 election where they put in nearly a billion and their network had and they thought were shocked that they lost the presidential and they came out with their analysis like eight months later that people saw them as harsh and mean and that they needed to like care about homeless people. and poverty. So now Governor Rucker cares about people with pre-existing conditions. We'll get to whether his policy would do anything, and he cares about people's insurance premiums spiking. We'll get to the policy as well. And in one of the most crass political moves I've seen in some time, I'm going to make sure I'm sending every parent a $100 check per child that comes into their mailbox uh, soon before I'm up for re-election, because there's a surprise. I predict temporary surplus uh, in the state budget.
0: This is the policy I describe as screw my two-other-panelists policy because you don't have kids. He doesn't care about you two, huh? You're not worthy.
2: It's also an illegal campaign (laughs) contribution, basically. I mean, think about it. It's taking state money to reelect himself, (laughs) which is what this whole thing is that stands in for the whole, that this is one of the most crass political operators imaginable. And he has tried to game all this out step by step by step. But then he still needs stuff for his base, so he has this completely gross welfare reform proposal that's going to have photo ID for food assistance. So people starve if they can't get a photo ID, force drug test people who need housing or food assistance or badger care, and have. Sleazy work requirements, which really aren't about creating more jobs, which is the problem, right? Uh, but actually, are just about putting people through bogus training programs, and if they don't go or they don't get a job, then you're out. And so that's the. Uh, but there, so there's the. There's still the right wing trigger for his base, but then an attempt to soften his image with everyone else.
0: We'll get back to some of the policy, but Rebecca, I assume you have a much brighter outlook on the governor's speech. You were moved by his. Decisions to invest in rural education and <laughs> close down Lincoln Hills. What? Come on. All right, let's hear from you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I think... It was a really interesting speech to consider um, in juxtaposition to his tweets, or maybe as a continuation of his tweets last week after the election, where he was alarmed by the results in SD ten, said they were a wake up call to Republicans. Um, you know, we know that he spent at least I think one point five million dollars on polling, which I'm sure will tell him what we all already know, which is that he is incredibly unpopular. Foxconn is incredibly unpopular. Uh, but you know, what's curious to me is that. On the one hand, he knows, because he's paid a lot of money to know, how unpopular his positions are and how tenuous his political position is. But on the other hand, as Robert says, he continues with these policies that kind of gin up the base. And I actually don't even think they're for the base. I, I think they're still for his wealthy donors. Um, but, you know, drug testing welfare recipients when our state is in the midst of an opioid crisis is incredibly curious to me when you claim to care about rural areas.
0: Curious is kind.
1: Yeah. Meanwhile, you know, while we're talking about welfare, giving billions of dollars of welfare to... Of foreign companies, you know, yesterday um, was actually a really bad news day for the governor uh, Kimberly Clark. Yep. Uh, the Kleenex company announced thousands of layoffs across the world, and you know, there's no way they don't impact us here in Wisconsin and their entire communities that are going to be, um, you know, really um, hurt and and impacted by those layoffs mm-hmm. when they come, which should be soon. So th- it's not a good day for jobs. Um, and one of the things that uh, you know, he continues to tout that, I'll let other people dig in on a bit more later, is that unemployment is historically low, which is 4. just... 4.1%, <laughs>
0: <he said. laughs>
1: I mean, it's such a disingenuous figure for so many reasons. First of all, people are dropping out of the workforce, which is how we get that figure. Second of all, people are truly underemployed, working poor um, throughout the state. It's just like not an accurate figure at all. And on top of the announcement yesterday from Kimberly Clark, we're seeing more and more Wisconsin-based manufacturers, local companies. Of course, family farms are struggling. Uh, That's just like not the accurate picture of what's happening in the state.
2: There were a lot of sleazy numbers. You know, there was the comparisons to Doyle as if the Great Recession didn't happen, right? And the, great, and the recovery under Obama didn't happen, right? Um, the problem with his economic position, which is everything's great, is, is that virtually no one thinks it's great. And so you can run around this number all you want. People all over the state think the economy is far worse than it was in the era he wants to compare himself to. Now Tommy Thompson is being lionized. So Tommy got elected to four terms, so that's an interesting historical reference. And there, there was a lot of economic growth under Tommy. A lot of it under the Clinton years, quite frankly. Uh, but he, but Tommy was a centrist deal maker who was not hard edged like Walker. Did not go and try to destroy his opposition. Uh, look at Act Ten, uh, or Right to Work, et cetera, et cetera, or what he wants to do uh, to Badger Care and food food shares and housing assistance. And so. I don't know that that's going to stick. He's trying to present himself as a Tommy Thompson-like figure who knows how to manage the state and things are moving forward and you should rely upon him. I don't know that that's a winning scenario. And he doesn't, he's not, we'll get into health care. He's not going to have credibility on health care no matter what kind of lines he comes up with. And we had the same old tired right-wing worldview lines again about how we're not trying to throw people off off uh, public assistance, we're trying to make it easier for them to get a job, and, and, and et cetera, et cetera, all in this positive sort of frame.
0: Yeah, actually, I wanted to play very briefly because Walker did centrally bring up Medicare and Affordable Care Act, right? And to me, this was indicative of, you mentioned the polling he did and how his pants are really down on health care. He is super exposed, as are the Republicans. We, we saw that nationally in Virginia. And we saw it in Senate District 10. Um, this was an incredibly political speech, Robert, you mentioning Tommy Thompson. I, when I was listening to it right away, I was like, my god, this sounds like something Tommy Thompson would have said, right? Like, figure out where my biggest weakness is, and then go cut deals with the other side and essentially buy off the middle, right, or attempt to. As you've mentioned, I think we're in a totally different politic, and um, it, the times just aren't good, right? He can say we're in this great economy, unemployment. People don't feel that. So uh, this is, in many ways, a very defensive speech. Before we go to break, I, I, I want to play what Walker had to say about the Affordable Care Act, his Medicaid you know, position, which is terrible, right, and costing the state tons of money, which he didn't talk about last night, um, and then get your response, Robert. Not only talk about this, talk about his call for a special session and his to, to take up additional health care plan, right? Further showing his defensiveness on this issue. So, this is his essential framing, and we ought to know exactly uh, what we ought to be saying about it.
3: A few years ago, some argued that we should take the Obamacare Medicaid expansion money. In turn, I, want, I warned that it would come back to hurt Wisconsin taxpayers. What happened in Minnesota this past year suggests we were right. Late last year, health insurance premiums there increased by as much as 67 percent. The governor of Minnesota declared the Affordable Care Act is no longer affordable. And just last week, he actually called called on the legislature to spend $313 million to buy down health insurance premiums, putting Minnesota taxpayers on the hook. In contrast, we have a modest surplus in Medicaid while covering everyone living in poverty, all without putting the taxpayers at risk through a state exchange or by taking the Obamacare Medicaid expansion. We are working and winning for Wisconsin.
0: Robert, first of all, I want to get your response to this. The one thing that I just immediately pricked and then get your response to as he talked about how they're putting in 313 million I mean, we have wasted way more than that money with his plan if i'm correct and he's t- they're talking about putting in money to actually make sure people actually have access to full care whereas he like is cut it am, am we can this have a is a
2: deeper conversation there's the money we lost on yeah. not taking the medicaid money but he says they had to uh, put money in to backfill taxpayer money that's his plan that's what he's proposing with $200 million. So he is doing that plan. Exactly. He also fails to mention that Minnesota rates, as we've reported every year, are way lower than Wisconsin. So if you really want to make an apples applesauce comparison, his plan is not working whatsoever. So it's more sleazy numbers. But... Don't worry, listeners. No one's going to believe, very few people are going to believe him on health care.
0: So we got to get out of here uh, on the back end with more. I want to talk very specifically about what he's proposing around pre-existing conditions, made a lot of news, and again, further proving health care is one of the dominant issues uh, in this election coming up. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org, and you're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back. We are Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. So before we left, we were talking about the state of the state. And in particular, we were talking about healthcare and how extraordinarily vulnerable he is. Well, this week, Robert, he announced in the run-up to the state of the state, he was going to have new policies to address pre-existing conditions, to try to start to tackle healthcare. Please help our listeners understand what he's proposing and fundamentally what's wrong with it.
2: Well, let's take the easy one off the top first, Uh, getting a permanent waiver for senior care, which is Wisconsin's alternative to Medicare Part D, is much more affordable. There are nearly 100,000 people on it. Jim Doyle policy, I know Jim Doyle was assaulted in this uh, speech, Uh, and it's been bipartisan. Walker actually tried to undermine it before, so now he is, and they're not giving him a permanent waiver. So this is just, you know, positioning pre-existing conditions and the media has done a very bad job of this and reporting they keep reporting that he wants to do something about pre-existing conditions that's why i wanted you to talk about it in fact federal law now is you can't charge more you can't discriminate you can't deny coverage they are what they passed in the state assembly is much is much worse it opens up the loophole again it says that they can charge you more and they can charge you so much more obviously that you can never buy the coverage if you've had a gap in coverage and so this actually reopens pre-existing addition discrimination and it's something insurance companies want, it will not actually become effective because of the federal law unless the ACA is repealed, which Walker adamantly supports and so do his friends in Washington. So this would open up pre-existing addition discrimination, so it's an attack on people's freedoms and a desire to have insurance industry be allowed to trample on people's rights again. But secondly, since these are the real two planks, that's simply a giveaway to the insurance industry framed as for consumers. But then his whole plan about premiums, which is called reinsurance, is a $200 million public subsidy to insurance companies uh, the, based on how many high-cost cases they have. With no requirement they give the money back to consumers whatsoever. Now, healthcare experts do think it would marginally reduce premiums for a very small segment of people. Not People who get their their insurance at work, not small businesses, not anyone who gets tax subsidies to afford coverage on the ACA marketplace. That's 87% of people on the marketplace. It's the 13% of the small number of people in the marketplace who who make too much to get tax subsidies. And their premiums would go down an average, according to national numbers, of 4%. Just to give you an idea, the spike last year on the market was 50%, and Walker, in his own speech, gave an example of someone who had a $2,000 increase. Well, this isn't really going to help them afford insurance at all, but it will help the insurance industry. So the amazing thing is, even as he tries to pivot and change direction, all he has to offer is... SOPS to the health insurance industry. That is, subsidies to them and allowing them to discriminate based on pre-existing conditions again. That's, that's, that's all the guy can come up with, even when he knows he has to get good on health care to be reelected. So
0: the good news about all of this is he's, he's totally on the wrong side. The public gets it, and there are lots of people running this fall who actually are directly impacted by his lack of, uh, of actually addressing the health care issue. In fact, Um, We have a number of members who are running who are running because they have pre-existing conditions, because they have medical issues that that Governor Walker and the legislature has done absolutely nothing about. So, uh, in in fact, I know there's at least four of our members who are running in suburban Milwaukee assembly districts, a couple of them where these Republicans have not been challenged the last couple cycles, and uh, these folks are going to run on healthcare, and they're going to run on this issue, and they have real stories, and it's what animates their desire to run. It's part of what animates it, and this is going to be incredibly difficult for him. So he can spin this, uh, but we got to get out there and actually start to follow up on what 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 the speech shows. He is incredibly vulnerable. The Republicans are. He's trying to separate himself from Trump. That was another thing he did in the speech. Of. Yeah, yeah. But, like, very much when they were – Trump and Washington, right, tried to, the whole thing. He was trying to suggest that Washington was a mess, and somehow they were fixing it when they've been actually trying to make it worse. Rebecca, any other thoughts you may have either on this issue or the state of the state in general?
1: I think that th- this issue is a um, – you know, w- what we're seeing, what we saw in SD10 and we'll continue, continue to see is that there's an electorate responding to uh, national issues – uh, which then effective candidates can then put through a local frame. And I think uh, it's so easy to do with Governor Walker. And you know, the issue of health care is one example. Um, there are certainly several others in which you know, he is complicit or cooperating with Republicans in D.C., um, to the detriment of folks in our state. So, his hyper political battle against the ACA has put us at like an extreme disadvantage to our, our neighbors in, in other states. Um, but there are so many other examples of rejecting money for broadband, right? I mean, over and over, um, his petty. He took credit for broadband. Right, right. It was just like remarkable to me. This, this whole speech was remarkable it, to yes. me. Yes. And listen... he's done nothing for
2: rural areas. Now he's going to put 50 million allegedly into WeDeck to decide what investment should be made, right? Uh, uh, seven years in. All of a sudden, there's a rural economic crisis in Wisconsin, and then he has this drop-in-the-bucket opiates. He has a big opiate plan, which is not even mentioned. It was so bad, he just said he's doing stuff on opiates, basically.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, (laughs) we don't have clean water to drink in rural areas or in our big cities. We have uh, teachers fleeing the state. You can't find teachers in rural areas. You said it's
2: great that their plans had had, really helped everyone hire good teachers. It's like... Night is day, day is night. If you know the Laren Cohen song, everybody knows. That's <laughs> what we progressives do, not panic. Everybody knows.
1: Right. No. And, you know, he was PolitiFacted during the speech. Um, so you were able to follow along live as PolitiFact went along. And he had mentioned he had claimed that he had given more money uh, to schools in Wisconsin than I think ever before. But really, that's not true. when you adjust for inflation and other factors. So, um, that- or,
2: or make up for his decreases. But then he kept saying about the tools. Is that, we all know what the tools mean. The tools is Act 10.
1: Right. The tool right.
2: is lowering teachers' wages and deskilling the profession or trying to.
1: Right. Right. Um, What I would love to ask Matt and uh, Rob about, uh, Robert, is his claims on the UW system. So I'm not as familiar Mm. with uh, his policies around that. I know he had claimed in the past to cut tuition. That obviously never happened. Um, But can can you speak maybe in a little bit more detail to that? Well, as you know,
2: they don't really like... Uh, universities very much because they actually do independent research that might contradict the dogma that would support a Governor Walker and the right-wing movement. So not only do they cut UW dramatically, not only do they go after the tech colleges in his first budget, but to, to kind of You know, uh, identify with students, he has frozen tuition with no plan to make up for it. It's not a state plan to lower tuition and make college free and put state money in. It's simply the star of the universities. But then he can grandstand around and say he's he's helping students, when in fact it's just part of a two-pronged attack on the university system. So I think the university system needs to be reformed as well. It's too expensive, but you do that in a mindful way in which you guarantee free tuition and you actually, like we have to do in healthcare, have real accountability for costs so that we don't have it to big building projects that don't really help students learn or improve their education, just for example. Uh, but this is just the best of both worlds. He both gutted the, he's, he's gutting the UW system in two ways. He certainly doesn't give a darn about student debt or dealing with the student loan crisis in any way at all either. Uh, but he, again, is looking for, I think, Rebecca a, it, it's like George Bush Sr. said, "Kindler, gentler, remember? Mm. It's the kindler, gentler walker.
0: Well. We are going to continue to track, obviously, the state of uh, Governor Walker, and particularly his re-election. By the way... The we... state of the
2: state is strong, <laughs> though, right? I mean, that's always the big question at the beginning of these. It's going to be weak. Oh, it's really troubled and weak. Yeah. Uh,
0: it's SOS, buddy, right? Like, <laughs> hey, I'm in big trouble here, everybody. Uh, you better you better help me out, or we're going to get wiped out. are all going to work at out. Foxconn and live in the
2: Foxconn <laughs> compounds that they're building in Mount Pleasant. <laughs>
0: Yeah, look, and here's, be th- great. here's the thing. The reality about most of what he talked about last night, it ain't happening, right? Like, the, the legislature's going to be in session for about a month, you know, maybe a month and a half. They're not, most of the stuff isn't happening. This is the most political speech he's given. And a lot, this is an incredibly political guy. And he wants and bipartisan. This was the moment, bi-partisan. Yeah, on. Hmm. Come on. I mean, hmm. this is a, and, and then he read off that ridiculous, I'll call it a gerrymandered statistic about like, Having uh, 90% of the bills he signed... That's because 90% of the bills are things like renaming the Red
2: Star Highway the Blue Star (laughs) Highway. That's the the average bill, just so we know.
0: Right. But the substantive things like the budget, all the major policies, (laughs) we have fundamental disagreements. And by the way, like having one Democrat or something that goes over doesn't suddenly make these Which hardly ever happens, by the way,
2: because they're totally frozen out. It's not like there's any effort to work with them in any way. They're just told, you're worthless, we're doing what we want, go to the side,
0: Right. So, look, I mean, the speech was surreal, in that just about anything he was talking about, you can just you look if you look behind it, it just shows great weakness, a flawed, failed policy behind it, and so sort of trying to make up for it while. What he spent most of the time really was just putting really good shiny shininess on his record. He,
2: Lipstick on pig. Yeah, I mean really a <laughs>
0: large amount. For a state of the state, it was pretty tremendous the way he was, you know, going back and really looking back, and it was much more obviously political. So um we're gonna talk. Uh our next guest is actually uh gonna be Mike Horecki from AfSme, who we're gonna get on after the break. But uh, uh after Mike, we're actually going to have on uh, Katie Dunn from from Citizen Action to talk about our healthcare jeopardy event, which will have the Democratic candidates at it this Saturday. Uh, and again talking about this issue, and this is really all about the election. So an opportunity to come and actually hear what the Democratic candidates have to say about health care in, in, in Walker. So well, with that...
2: I, I can't hear, wait to hear from Mike because we didn't get to the uh, Lincoln Hills part of the State of the State, so right. he'll be able to help yeah. us understand. Yeah. Well,
0: and, and we, we will talk a little bit more about that. So uh, with that, though, we got to get out of here. We're in the Battleground Wisconsin, and you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. So before we went to commercial, we were talking heavily about the healthcare implications of what Governor Walker was talking about in his state of the state. And uh, for this section, we actually want to follow up on a a strand of what the governor talked about last night, and that was Lincoln Hills and the closure of Lincoln Hills. And so we're joined by Michael Harecki. He is with AFSME, Council 32, And uh, AFSME represents uh, the workers at Lincoln Hills and throughout many of our state institutions. Michael, thanks for joining us.
4: Yeah, thanks for having me on.
0: Well, we appreciate you coming on to talk to us a little bit. The timing's perfect. Um, This has been a a huge issue for a long time now, and it was really hard to get traction in terms of really getting uh, politicians to start to move on what's going on. Uh, but it is now definitely, uh, Governor Walker, suddenly is moving very quickly. So what I'm hoping you could do is just give our listeners a little background uh, real quickly on what's been going on, and then also why now all of a sudden is there you know, an effort to to suddenly move?
5: Yeah, no,
4: I, I think it, putting it in context is really critical, because we've been talking about Lincoln Hills now for almost seven years, and more broadly, our juvenile correction system. So I mean, over the last seven years, uh, under Walker's administration, we've seen uh, just a massive amount of uh, change in the system, and a lot of that has come from uh, Act 10 and the way that workers have been treated. It's come to uh, the lack of funding that's put into the system, uh, and it's come just in general due to the chaos of the management of these facilities. The folks that Walker's got in charge have really been struggling to uh, figure out how to run effective juvenile detention facilities. and. Uh, You know, we've seen this change, of course, in the last year, as this has been, uh, you know, disregarded for the last seven years. But now it's election season, and Walker recognizes that this is a huge chain around his neck. And, uh, you know, we've been seeing headline after headline for the last six months on these juvenile facilities. And so it is no surprise to us that uh, in an election year, Walker would propose a plan to try to fix this that would not begin until after the election season is over. Uh, so yeah, it's it's an interesting time right now. I think we're going to be seeing a lot coming out in the next uh, next year here as the election is rolling around.
0: Mike, real quick for our listeners, just a, uh, a quick summary of exactly what the current plan is to do with Lincoln Hills and and uh, your guys's position.
4: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Governor Walker has asked the Department of Corrections to uh, to propose building five new regional juvenile detention facilities around the state. Uh, the current facility at Lincoln Hills would most likely remain open as an adult facility, uh, and these new juvenile facilities would be built. So we need to appropriate money to build these facilities and then staff them as well. Um, I mean, in in a big picture, you know, this is, a, this is not a bad idea. This is actually a bill that was proposed or a solution that was proposed by Democrats in the legislature. Uh, it makes a lot of sense, and we worked with folks to put this together. I think the devil's in the details, though. I mean, right now, you know, there is there's really not a lot of concrete proposals being put forward. You know, Walker's talking about it. But as we've seen under this administration, it, talk is not action. And it's going to be until something is on paper being voted on on the floor of the legislature. Uh, until we see what that language is, uh,
2: you know, absolutely moving forward very, very cautiously. Yeah, it sounds like that's appropriate, Mike. This is uh, This is Robert. So... This goes back to the beginning of the Walker administration, right? I mean, Act 10 actually caused a huge number of problems, a huge amount of uh, people to retire uh, because they thought they were going to lose their pensions, et cetera, and a staffing problem at Lincoln Hills. At the same time, he was uh, closing other facilities and sending a huge number of youth offenders just up to Lincoln Hills. And then he has been completely AWOL. I know they're going to try to make some sort of bizarre case that Tammy Baldwin is responsible for the VA crisis, right, the, the, the opiate abuse situation they had, that is like a, a, a real stretch. But in this case, I think you've been, and me and others have been ringing the alarm bells literally for his whole two terms, and then all of a sudden he has this sort of vague solution just to make it look like he's doing something about it before the, the election. Is there, would that be your take?
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's that's putting it very well, and I think uh, you know a couple things on that. I mean, Walker has never been to Lincoln Hills. This is a huge issue for our members up there. Is you know they're on the front lines of trying to deal with the fallout of Walker's policies. They're understaffed. You know, the folks coming in are undertrained. It's hard to get people to take these jobs because it's such an unsafe environment. Because uh, literally, as you said, you know, Walker's dumping all of our juvenile, juvenile offenders into this facility, and the folks who are going there. Um, you know, these these are the people who are deemed, you know, uh, hard to handle or dangerous, because that's that's what this facility was designed to do, but we haven't resourced it properly. And, you know, you're in this scenario where Walker, you know, he hasn't been there. We've had a, a cycle of different administrators of this facility. Uh, we haven't been able to make it work. And now at the last 11th hour before an election, we're going to try to move towards it. And it would not surprise me. If uh, as this continues to be discussed, as they're going to try to do with Baldwin, uh, this, they're going to try to point the finger at somebody else and somehow put the blame. But it's been seven years and there hasn't been
2: a solution. So I think it's very clear where the blame's going to lie on this one. And I think this a lot of this has to do with their whole governing philosophy, conservatives or lack thereof. They don't actually believe in having uh, well, well-paid, dedicated public servants to deal with major public service issues like this, which is one of the most important. And then, of course, they're not and I, I'd like your take on this. Not really thinking about why we're sending so many uh, young people to these facilities. That what ha- ends up happening is, is that uh, to my mind, that when when young people have their first interactions with the law, it's not treated as something we need an intervention into to make sure that that they don't they don't essentially have more and more incidents and then get involved in crime. We simply we simply that most of the interactions actually make the problem worse and then we end up having young people who are who are violent who have been involved who have, who have committed crimes or, or been involved in committing crimes and then just being warehoused at these facilities and then the, uh, uh inadequate supply of of public workers who are supposed to deal with this and supposed to and, and your mission i know and the mission of of the public employee public employees who work in these facilities is actually to rehabilitate these kids, not just to be there to warehouse them, which seems to be the goal of the, of the overall criminal justice system, if you look at how it's structured.
4: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, um, one of the shocking statistics to me when I was digging into this issue is that our youth recidivism rate here in the state of Wisconsin is north of 60 percent. So we're in an environment where what we're doing isn't working. Uh, and as you said, I think, you know, these staff, when you talk to our folks who are working in these facilities the vast majority of them care very deeply about attempting to return folks to, to normal life, especially our youth offenders. Uh, but when you're put in an environment where it becomes, as you were saying, I love that term, a warehouse, that's really what it's become, is we're really warehousing these these uh, you know these youth offenders, and we're, we're not actually addressing the rehabilitation element, because we don't even have the staffing to keep Keep a warehouse safe, let alone actually do education and all these necessary things to return folks to uh, to normal life. So we're, we're in a really tough situation, and what we're doing, you know, clearly isn't working. And uh, and that goes all the way back to this, uh, you know, to, to the lack of staff and the lack of resources put into these facilities, because until we can address that, how do we create an environment where we can begin to lower our recidivism
5: rate?
1: So uh, you had mentioned that, uh, you know, for a long time, Lincoln Hills hasn't been resourced appropriately um, in terms of staffing and maybe other resources. I just wanted to drill down on that a bit. Um, what kind of levels of staffing and what other types of resources and services would your members like to see?
4: Yeah, I think it's a great question, and, uh, and, you know, I think a lot of it's going to depend, of course, on on how this moves forward with these regional facilities. That will change, our I think, our ask in terms of member staffing requests. But in the short term, at Lincoln Hills alone, um, you know, there is an immense amount of vacant positions, both for security and non-security roles. Um, And the challenge is it's hard to – why would folks take this job, right? I mean, the challenge is is it's not paid competitively uh you know the benefits and uh that we've seen in traditionally in state work have uh been vastly diminished you know i've got members uh in these facilities that show me their paychecks before 2011 and they're higher then than they are now so why would someone go into a facility where it's you know potentially dangerous situation for less pay than they could have made 10 years ago. So, you know, you got folks then, you know, it's funny, you've got these conservatives who talk about the free market all the time. You know, oh, we need to have this free market economy. Well, the free market's working really, really well. And guess what? People don't want to work in dangerous environments where they're underpaid. So I think one of the things we need to really address is how do we get these jobs to be competitive so that people are – you know leaving perhaps other positions in this state to go work here we want the best of the best in these facilities if we're going to be able to lower our recidivism rate and create a safe environment and so how do you get the best people well you got to pay them appropriately you got to give them a safe work environment uh and and that's broad spectrum for both security and non-security positions at this facility so i think that would be a great starting place to address some of the staffing issues
2: so we're almost out of time mike um is it the sense of your members you know, who work with these, uh, with these young people that if there were the resources not just to be secure but to actually work with them and to, and, and, to, and to really work on rehabilitation, that a lot of these young people really could go back to the community and live promising lives and that in essence the tools of Act 10 actually the cost is even higher. The cost is actually a cost in, in lives. They're less likely to be successful and promising and, 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 and fewer, fewer young people who can actually live the American dream.
4: Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, my the, our members listening to this would have me tell you that it's a case-by-case basis, for sure. You know, every, every youth offender that comes through comes from a different set of circumstances. And to address that, we need to have the resources to treat these folks, you know, one-on-one based on what their situation is and what their life circumstances are uh, that brought them uh, to this situation. And I think, if there's a light at the end of the tunnel, it's that there are other states around the country that are doing this and are doing it well. So it's not like this is an impossible task. You know, know, youth offenders are a difficult scenario, and it's something that requires a lot of thought and a lot of care. But there are places that are doing it, and we aren't. And that's a huge issue because there are ways to do this effectively. And if you look across the country at states that are doing a good job at this, it is Uh, well-paid staff, well-trained staff, and typically a good staff-to-youth ratio so that there is an environment where you can give these young people the attention they need so that they can return to normal life.
0: With that, Michael, we have to get out of here. We really appreciate you taking the time to educate our listeners on uh, the situation at Lincoln Hills and broadly within the system from a public employee worker's point of view. Thank you. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. And again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. So we are joined uh, by one of our organizers here, and that is Katie Dunn. She is the lead organizer for the Healthcare for All Cooperative. Katie, thanks for joining us.
5: Wonderful to be here.
0: So Katie, we have you here because we have a big event coming up, and we are just talking about the governor's state of the state and healthcare and how he clearly is very defensive about his healthcare plan. And you have a big event coming up that actually will get the Democratic candidates out to talk about healthcare. Please tell our listeners more about what's happening Saturday.
5: Yeah, I think it's the peak of my professional career and personal life. Uh, healthcare jeopardy.
0: It's coming together of the professional it's, and the personal yeah, passions. Yeah, I do know
5: after Saturday what I'll do with my life. Yeah, so uh, we are getting all the Democrat uh, candidates for governor in the same room for a pseudo Jeopardy format, uh, asking and answering a lot of questions about health care.
0: So the answer is no. Um, so again, <laughs> when is it? Saturday and where?
5: At MATC Milwaukee in the Student Center, uh, which is room S120. It's at 930 on Saturday morning.
0: So tell, tell our listeners a little bit more about what to expect if they come and sort of what we're what we're hoping to accomplish with the event and right will,
2: and will alex trebek be there yes
5: i am alex trebek are you, <laughs> oh, are you really <laughs> yes yeah, yeah. well matt want to do it so, well, so
0: I, <laughs> I want your the height of your personal and professional okay. career to
5: you're such an empowering an alex. you're well, such an empowering boss <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so you know we had the challenge is that the democratic field is extremely crowded, and so we're trying to figure out how to have an event that doesn't make folks attending want to poke their eyes out and just hear the same answers over and over again. Right. And so we're going to have healthcare professionals asking questions of the governor candidates about healthcare, and the questions are all up on a Jeopardy board um, that I've worked very hard to make. <laughs> you can tell I made it. It's yep. it's uh it's just a little PowerPoint. But yeah, it should be a fun um and engaging forum around the top electoral issue in
0: 2018. So, uh our are- I assume, right? We can still take new people. They don't have to RSVP. They can just show up on Saturday.
5: Yeah. If you want to make my life easier, you could RSVP, <laughs> but if you don't, that's fair. So just come on by anytime. Um, we're trying to start right at 9:30, and parking can be a little tricky. So just make sure you give yourself enough time and come on in and you know, then you're out by noon and go about your weekend. It is again, MATC Milwaukee room S 120 in the student center on 10th Street, on the 10th Street side of MATC. We will have signs. Fabi is going to be out there, I think, as a human direction sign. Okay. <laughs> We're going to make sure everybody, you know, is pumped and ready to go. And
0: uh, for any of our listeners, uh, listeners who might have come to we've had events at this place before we've had uh senator russ feingold there and also had a supreme court forum there last september so it's an excellent facility very comfortable and hopefully we'll have some media there to cover this given the timing of this with walker's state of the state and his announcement of this exciting terrible new plan of his uh, to really kind of hear where these candidates are at and what is their vision so um Really thank you for pulling this together. Can you talk, uh, before we go though, uh, this is in partnership with some other groups we should talk about uh other folks that are involved uh, in this effort.
5: Sure, absolutely. Well, starting with AFT Local 212, they are providing us the location and help with all the tech stuff. So that is absolutely huge. Uh, also, our partner, Wisconsin, uh, Federation of Nurses and Health Professionals, who are partners in our Healthcare for All co-op are helping out. And then, of course, our Wisconsin Revolution and Wisconsin Working Families Party as part of Wisconsin's Choice. So our big overall coordinate. Coordinated effort to make sure that a progressive is our next governor.
0: Yeah, and for folks around the state, there are events that Wisconsin's Choice is putting on all over the state to try and bring the gubernatorial candidates to your neck of the woods and allow you to come and check them out, hear what they have to say, ask questions. Uh, and I know there was one just in Stevens Point earlier this week, and there'll be uh, there's going to be one coming up in Eau Claire and all over the state. So, uh, Rebecca, do you have a website where folks can go if they want to go see uh, for something in their neck of the woods?
1: We, we actually have a Facebook. I don't know if the website's totally live, um, but it's Wisconsin's Choice. But we'll also get all the information to you so you can get it out to the Citizen Action members. We did have an event in Stevens Point on Tuesday, but it was actually kind of a pre-event. We thought we'd only have about 30 people there and I think over 150 or something crazy showed up. Tim Burns was there, um, and it was a small hiring committee, but we'll have a larger candidate event in Stevens Point coming up soon, and then, you know, Green Bay, Eau Claire, um, several places throughout the state, so I'll get you guys the full list so you can put it in the podcast notes.
0: And, you know, again, we, we started this show by talking about the state of the state, and that it was an incredibly political speech, and the guy's very defensive and in trouble, so these are an opportunity to really get our base, get, let's get progressives who maybe little jaded over the last decade, uh, re-energized. We can really, we have a, we have an opportunity here. So uh, Katie really want to thank you for putting this event together in partnership with uh, all the good folks you mentioned, but also coming in and uh, letting our listeners know about it.
5: Absolutely. Thanks.
0: Great. And with that, um, before we go, um, Rebecca, you wanted to talk a little bit about some of what's been going on in Racine, uh, around a a police shooting that uh, I know Working Families Party has been doing a lot more work down in Racine. So just please educate our listeners.
1: Yeah. uh, So last Wednesday, a young man by the name of Dante Shannon, 26 years old, the father of a five-year-old little girl, was shot and killed by police uh, the number of times he was shot has not been um, announced. In fact, a lot of information has been withheld from the public, um, you know, in the guise of a formal DOJ investigation. Obviously, the community is incredibly frustrated by that. Uh, a Journal Times reporter observed at the site at least six bullet holes um, just visible. Uh, his father, the deceased father, Dante's father, uh, said that his son was shot 17 times. Uh, the police uh, claim that he had a gun, that he brandished a gun. Um, also, multiple reports have said that he was running away and fleeing at the time. Uh, you know, there are no body cameras, there are no other eyewitnesses, there are a lot of questions, very little information has come out. Uh, and, you know, the entire interaction started, um, I think, to no one's surprise, with a traffic stop, which, you know, we know as a way for police to profile and stop people of color. Um, I'm from New York City originally. Several years ago, we ended the unconstitutional practice of stop and frisk, Mm. which is kind of like a pedestrian traffic stop. Uh, Anyway, it's very sad. And the response of the community has been uh, strong. You know, 200 people came out last Friday, uh, met at the site of the murder, and then marched to City Hall, banged on the door, demanded to see the mayor. When that didn't work, they went to the county courthouse. There was another protest on Monday, there was a press conference the mayor held on Monday, uh, and then a town hall in the evening that went on for uh, over two and a half hours, I think close to three hours, one after another people standing up, um, you know, really berating officials very upset about the lack of information about the long time um, you know, concerns that they've had about policing, about quality of life in Racine. You know, we've talked multiple times on the podcast about how Racine is, you know, just in terms of income inequality among black and white Mm -hmm. families. Number four in the country is the worst place to be black. Obviously, infant mortality is another thing we've discussed, you know, levels that outpace some third world countries. Folks in Racine who are black are struggling and have been for a long time and do not feel as if they've been heard. And so at that town hall on Monday night... People talked about uh, the need for body cameras. They talked about overly aggressive police officers um, that they've been complaining about for a long time, uh, called for um, training for police officers around race. Um, You know, I think there's a number of things that we can do. I know uh, Block put out a statement. Um, Alderman John Tate II has been very visible around this. Um, You know, I've had personally conversations with folks about, you know, are we... Um, funding, uh, for example, in New York City, there's a a bill in the city council right now that there should be a full-time, you know, around the clock, there should be a social worker in every police precinct. Like, what are the things that we are funding um, to address some of the structural issues um, in Racine that um, are really challenging for working families there uh, rather than just funding police and then, you know, having very little accountability? So I think this is something I I just wanted to mention on Mm -hmm. the podcast um, you know, people who, there there are lots of people who are like, well, we don't know all the facts. We don't know if he had a gun. And then there's claims that maybe he had a gun. We don't know this. We don't know that. But there are lots of things we do know. We know that a young black man was shot, um, sounds like at least a dozen times by police. We also know that he died in the hospital and it took uh, officials uh, four to five hours to inform his family. We know that people in the community um, were so upset and spurred that they came out in the hundreds to respond Um, So there is an underlying um, crisis in Racine that officials, you know, are long overdue in addressing. And I hope that they get to work doing what they need to do. Well, there's
2: a call for a citizen review board, which I think is important. And I think it needs to be broader than just the case. It needs to be police procedures. Because I think the the likelihood of an African-American young man being in this situation is much higher because they target communities where they live and use traffic stops as an excuse. And so the whole thing, soup to nut, so it can't just be that he was carrying a gun and therefore it was justified. It needs to be the whole structural system that led up to the tragedy.
0: I agree. So so we're going to talk more about this a lot, and we'll have our organizer, Devette Baker, on in the future to talk more in depth. And the timing is perfect, right, Uh, in terms of this tragic situation, we've had this before. Milwaukee's going to be getting a new police chief right, new sheriff right, to talk very broadly about this. So we plan on doing that on this show in the future. But with that, we got to get out of here. And uh, again, we want to thank our guests, uh, Mike Karecki from AFSME, Council 32 joining us, and of course, Katie Dunn here from Citizen Action. And folks, get out. Healthcare Jeopardy, MATC, this Saturday, 9.30. And again, we want to thank Brian Mulder who makes it happen every week, and we are at the Battleground Wisconsin